All right, you can tell by the, the lack of intro music that Lou is here. Say hi, Lou. Hi, Lou. <laughs> I knew he was going to do that. Yeah, that was too easy for oh, me. Oh, I know. i got to set you up real nice and clean on that one. So we've gathered together this week to tell you that three persons and one essence makes perfect sense. Right. And by the end of this, you are either going to be like, yes, I understand this. And your brain is going to pulsate like, or you're going to be crying and in a corner going, mommy, mommy, make the bad man stop. Either way, I'm good. I'm good either way. Now, what are we talking about? Well, this is, this is providence at work. And the reason I say that is because before the world was struck down by plague, uh, we had set up probably about seven or eight episodes worth of information that Lou and I were going to go through initially. And the one that was next in line before everything decided that it didn't want to work anymore was the Trinity. So this has been on the docket since March. We haven't had a chance to do it. Mm -hmm. While we were locked down, I had this brilliant, dumb idea to start going through historical theology through looking at the heretics of the past. And with no real rhyme or reason, and by the way, there's still no real rhyme or reason to the order I'm doing those in. It's just whatever strikes my fancy that week, and that's who we're doing the research on. It just so happens that the last couple of weeks, we have been dealing with uh, Valentinus, Valentinus, whichever way you want to say it. Uh, We've dealt with modalism, and we've looked at Arius, just this Just yesterday, we looked at Arius. It's available to download. You can check it out. And that's just kind of funny to me because I've been doing all this look at the Trinity, and it just so happens that now that we've got first things back out of the way, you know, kind of our reset and how we want to do this, we get back to our list, and what's next on our list? The Trinity. Trinity. Dun-da-da-dun. So, all right. Why in the world do we want to look at the Trinity? Well, we want to look at the Trinity because it is a simply complex doctrine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is simply complex. It will make your head hurt if taught rightly. So that's why we're we're aiming to give you a migraine. If we have given you a migraine when we're done, we have succeeded. If not, you get a full refund. (laughs) That's just how this works. Full refund, yeah. yeah. And we're cutting loose salary in half. Oh, I don't have a salary. Exactly. How do you cut? Which if you do a good job, we'll double it. We'll double nothing. Yes, we'll double it. Double or nothing. See, there you go. Zero times (laughs) any number is zero. As long as we don't divide by zero, because then we would open up a wormhole in the space-time continuum and we would all wouldn't exist or something like that. I think that's what my seventh grade math class taught me. So, all right. Let's do this the easy way. All right, Lou. How many gods are there? There's one. One. Well, give me one Bible verse that says that. <laughs> Deuteronomy six. Deuteronomy six. Hear, yeah. O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and child, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Mm-hmm. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand; they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God is. One, duh, you get this all the way from the beginning. If you follow through scripture, God does not present himself as a multiplicity. He is one God. He is the I am, not the we are necessarily. He is I am. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Isaiah 45. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. (sighs) 
That is a powerful passage. That's that's kind of like right to the point. Isaiah so. talks a lot about the one God and the, there's only one Savior and, and, and it's God. God alone is Savior. So this... This concept is really difficult when you, you start to look at the, the New Testament and look at who Jesus really is. Now, because he is the one, what should we do? Absolutely worship him. We should worship. Yes. Why? Because he's good. He is the just judge of all the earth, as Genesis 18 makes mention. The law says what? Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them what? You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Yes. Now, how do we know that? This is why you have an Old Testament. It is demonstrated. The, the goodness of creation, the mercy from the foundations of the earth to redeem a people that would fall, the redemptive plan in action to a people who cannot merit it or accomplish it on their own. This is a good, just God. The perfection of the sacrifice because it is demanded by a perfect and holy God in order to appease the wrath of God poured out against sin. So we have a holy God who is worthy of worship. Now, should we follow and teach his ways? Absolutely. There's Absolutely. what comes after the Shema. Now yes. that you know this, that right. your God is one and that he is your God, what shall you do? Teach it. To who? Everyone. Right. When? Always. Always. When you lay, yeah, when you lay down, when you get up, whatever you do, you shall teach. Now, let's remember some things. When we're dealing with Deuteronomy, we are dealing with a context. So we're dealing with a speech of Moses that is grounded in a time and a history. What is the history? Like, where is Moses standing, get, delivering this speech in Deuteronomy? Well, Not he, specifically, but in general. Well, in general, it's just before they were going into the promised land. Oh, promised land. Right. So the land Israel. that God was going to give them. Yeah. We've been going into. Where were they? They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, why were they wandering? Don't these people have homes? <laughs> Louis like, stop questions. asking me stupid questions. All these questions. They were wandering because the spies brought back a poor report. They did not believe the words of Yahweh, that they could go in and take the land that he gave and promised to their forefathers. And worse yet, where did they want to go? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Exodus chapter 20. Yes. Who is the Lord your God? The one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, which is the house of slavery. Right. This is a God who redeems and rescues his people. So he has the right to demand this worship because of not just of who he is, but because of what he has done. This is part of your uh, Isaiah 55. You know what? For homework, go read Isaiah 55. It'll do you, It'll good. Do you good. Right, right. That's, seek, that's common. Yes. Yeah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he, talking about God, will abundantly pardon. Now, this is also an important thing. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And that's where we want to pause real quick, because this is where we get to blow your mind. This one God, worthy of worship, maker of heaven and earth, redeemer of his people, accomplisher of all of these things, is three persons. Yeah, you blew my mind right there. I'm going to slouch in my chair and be a little sad because I don't want to have to teach this. It's weird and it's complicated and I don't get it. So why do I have to teach things like this? I think simple one-verse explanation. When I say one verse, I should say one section. Hmm. Matthew 28, your hmm. great commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <sighs> 
teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I'm baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something I've done on the Heretics podcast. And uh, I did this with modalism, and I did this with uh, Arianism. I'm going to do it again because I want to see if Lou throws things at me because it doesn't make any sense. All right. Let me get something heavy. <laughs> there you go. Better, I better be quick. All right. When we are talking about baptizing in the name of God, mm-hmm. we are in agreement that the name of God is? Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, the Father is one person of Yahweh. The Son in the incarnation is Jesus. He is the second person of Yahweh. The Holy Spirit, who is the empowerer of all this stuff that we're talking about, he is the third person of Yahweh. So we have one God whose name is Yahweh, and he is shown or he has in existence three persons. And we're going to use a lot of weird words because we want to be very, very careful because we're going to get to the words we don't like and why we don't like them in a few minutes. That'll become important. So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Son is not the Father. All those directions, but the Father is God. He is of the essence and substance of Yahweh. The Son is God. He is of the essence and substance of Yahweh. The Spirit is God. He is of the essence and substance of Yahweh. This is explicitly taught in Scripture. You're going, what do you mean it's explicitly taught in Scripture? Well, because it is demonstrated by how God communicates himself to humanity. But didn't you just say he's an I am, not a we are? Yes. Yes, I did. Because I'm talking about God. I'm talking about Yahweh. There is no other. He is one. Right. But he's got three persons. There's an essence and yes. persons. There's this distinction. It's difficult. <laughs> My head hurts, wow. and I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> this is an important argument that the church has been having since the fourth century. I mean, with, with and I would argue and back, it goes even beyond the fourth century. I think the seeds of this get laid down even in the in the first century and are picked up throughout church history. And I think it really comes to a head in the fourth century. And the culmination. Yeah, yeah, and we're still having this argument. So, why are we saying this and being so precise? Because, again, this is what Scripture shows me. If the Son were not God, meaning he were not of the essence and substance, and yes, we will probably end up using those terms interchangeably, and I'm okay with that. If you're not, send angry letters. I don't care. I'll read them, but I don't care. (laughs) We're going to use essence and substance interchangeably because I think throughout the history of the church we have used them interchangeably. If the Son is not of the substance of Yahweh, then to worship him would be idolatry. Right. I think that's what we pick up on in the New Testament when, when Jesus is claiming to be before Abraham. He says, before Abraham, ego I am. I am. And, and the Jews picked up stones and they wanted to stone him because he being a man made, him out, made himself out to be God. Yep. Yeah, this is John so, 8. And right. John 10. Right. So you're right. You're right. It goes all the way back to the first century, and that's an example of it. Um, however, I don't think that the Jewish people thought in terms of triunity no. um, at the time because it just wasn't the argument until probably the fourth century. Well, and, the, and that's, but that's the stumbling block is right. that Jesus is God. How can Jesus be God when there's one God and he's in heaven? Right. 
And so that's, that's, that becomes the breakdown. That's why I said the seeds of this are planted right there. But this is how this is presented. So go back. And I think it goes even further back too. Because when you look at the, oh. the Hebrew and you hear Melach Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh. You, get out of my head. I was literally just about to say that. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Lou is reading my mind. Oh, uh, uh, Burn yeah. him. He's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see if he floats like uh, rocks and, you know, small rocks and uh, ducks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitive proof that, yeah. Yes, of course it is. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're an uncultured <laughs> swine and an uncircumcised Philistine. And you need to watch more television and rot your brain like I did as a kid. Yeah. No. Okay, the angel of the Lord of the Old Testament. Who is this dude? Because we have Yahweh in heaven. The angel of the Lord comes down and he represents Yahweh, but he receives the worship of Yahweh. He speaks in the first person as if he is Yahweh. He carries out the work of Yahweh. The angels, like when the angels go into Sodom and Gomorrah, Mm -hmm. they refuse worship. When the angels come to deliver messages to Daniel and to the other prophets, they refuse worship. The angel of the Lord makes no such distinction. He is functioning as the emissary and identity of God on high. But he's in human flesh, or at least in human form in the Old Testament. That's right. Yeah. He looks like when, when Abraham sees the three people coming, what does he say? Oh, look, it's three angelic beings. <laughs> he runs out and bows and prostrates himself. But he sees them as what? As, yeah. Angel- as, 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 as men. As he men. sees them as men. They walk yeah. upon him. They have a meal. He walks with them. Right. And that's actually one of the things, because you, when you remember where Abraham is at the, uh, the Oaks of Mamre, he, Sodom isn't like a hop, skip, and a jump away. They arrive in Sodom before nightfall. That's like a couple of days' walk. Mm-hmm. Abraham sees them off to the edge of the valley, mm-hmm. and then God stays behind. The angel of the Lord, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, stays behind. The angels move along, and they cover two days' worth of walking in an afternoon. Right. Hmm. Right, right. And then you, you get the writings uh, in, the, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I believe Paul is the author. I think. Luke wrote it. Paul said it. It's yeah. a sermon of Paul. This is this yep. is the official show position. Yep. And when we talk <laughs> about faith, and, and and he leads up to this information. He says that Jesus was with them in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And, it, and 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 when you go back to the, the the passage that he's talking about, it's talking about the angel of the Lord. So it's it's very interesting how you see this this terminology used in both the old and and and, and ratified or made clear in the new. Well, now we're going to do the two for one. You ready? Because I'm going to filibuster and talk while I change the batteries and lose microphone. Because now Lou's microphone is dying. So if you don't mind grabbing me two batteries while I filibuster here. See, this goes beyond a bunch of other things because we have a bad tendency to think about the Old Testament work in a different category than the New Testament work. And what I mean by that is if I told you to picture in your mind what you saw when, or what you see in your mind when you think through, say, the burning bush encounter between with Moses and God. Who is Moses talking to? Is he talking to the bush? Is he talking to the fire? What is going on? And if you'll actually go and read that, what you will find out... Sorry about that. I was turning the microphone on and screwing on the cover at the same time. That would probably just hurt your ears if you're listening, and I'm sorry. But if you'll notice, the angel is, or the Lord is appearing above the bush... Moses isn't talking to a flaming bush. He's talking to God. Yes. He's standing there. In the presence of God. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when you have the... Uh, 
oh, it just went right out of my head. It's Numbers. Read the book of Numbers. It'll do you good. When you have, or is it Exodus? You know what? Read both. It'll do you good. <laughs> there you go. For homework, what are we reading now? Isaiah 55, Exodus, and Numbers. Yeah. There you go. That'll keep you busy so, and out of trouble. The whole Tanakh. Yeah, just, just read that. It'll be good for you. Um, <laughs> when Israel grumbles and complains that they have no water, what, is, uh, what, is, what does God tell Moses to do? Assemble the people, and I will stand on the rock. God is standing in the presence of the people in the midst of the assembly when the rock is struck. He is taking upon himself a punishment. You have God there in flesh. Mm -hmm. Now, if God is spirit, how is he in flesh? See, this is where the idea of persons comes in. How is Jesus right now? He is embodied for for all eternity. Right, he's a resurrection body. That has always been the plan because you get hints of that because every time the Son appears before the Incarnation, he appears in a bodied sense, demonstrating what is to come. You have the Holy Spirit even in the Old Testament. It's not an indwelling, but you have a, a, uh, a lighting upon. So you have the Holy Spirit coming upon David. You have the Holy Spirit coming upon Saul. You have the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson. What else is the Spirit of the Lord? This is not the Father alone, and then the Holy Spirit comes along later in the New Testament. You have the same idea. You have Yahweh in the heavens commanding creation while the Holy Spirit is doing what? Right. Hovering over about. Over. He's yeah. the one who's empowering. Now, the reason we use all of this terminology, and Lou hasn't thrown anything at me yet, so we're doing all right. Right, right. <laughs> I'm still looking for something heavy. <laughs> He's, uh, I, I try to make sure I clear our little recording space of anything that might be used as a weapon against me. Yeah. I may be crazy, but I'm not completely stupid, and I'm sorry for the sound of the chair. But we, the way our recording uh, setup is, is, is we just have to have the microphone so loud that you can actually hear us that we pick up a bunch of other stuff. One day we will be rich and have better microphones. But until that day comes, your eardrums have to suffer on occasion. And I apologize because it's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Rest assured, I will not listen to this later. I will make sure the audio recorded and then I will set it up there because if there is one thing that I cannot stand, it is the sound of my own voice. I don't know how you people tolerate it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, all of that to say, we've given you as many terms as we can that we like. So let's give them some terms that we don't like that we have been very, very careful to avoid. I think the first one is manifestations. We don't like the word manifestations. And believe me, I wish I could use it because it would kind of make sense because I would like to be able to say, because I do think it is theologically precise, that in the Old Testament, Yahweh is manifesting himself as the Son Mm -hmm. because I do not think he is incarnate yet. So I think the appearances on the rock and the appearances above the burning bush and the appearances with Abraham before Sodom and Gomorrah, I think all of those things are closer to manifestations than they are actual physical things. But why can't I use manifestations? Well, there's there's these modalists that like to use that term and it kind of goes right along with their their idea, but it kind of makes things seem like God is... uh, what was that word you used earlier? Oh, I just lost my... I don't know. I was drinking water and my whole brain melted out. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can tell we're rare for it. Yeah, we are. Yes. Ooh, ooh, yes. Right. God, is, God is not schizophrenic as in there's, there's a mind of God and then it's all shooting off. We, we, we don't want manifestations because the, the oneness crowd and the modalist crowd going, again, all the way back to the, the third and fourth century with, um, with Sibelius and Sibelianism, which is kind of the birth of this, with the idea that they, they hang up on one God 
and then he demonstrates himself or he manifests himself at different times. Now, the reason they like this is because when the father is acting as the father, he is not acting as the son. And he is not acting as the spirit. So I heard this put this way once, and I've always liked this. The father, son, and spirit can't have coffee together in modalistic theology. (laughs) Because either the father can have coffee, or the son can have coffee, or the spirit can have coffee. But they can't all three have coffee together. Our argument is, biblical Trinitarian theology states that the father, son, and Holy Spirit can sit down at Starbucks and have coffee. Like good Christians would ever go to Starbucks. Aren't we boycotting them for something? Like, didn't they put the devil on the cup two years ago or something like that? Well, yeah, that's, yeah, she's actually a deity, yeah. She's a fertility goddess. I kid. If you want to boycott Starbucks, go for it. If you don't want to boycott boycott Starbucks, I don't care. Boycott whatever you want. It doesn't bother me. But they can sit down and have a cup of coffee together because they are three distinct persons. Now, while they're having that cup of coffee, how many minds do they have? One. One mind. Yeah. How many wills do they have? One. How many plans do they have? One. Because there is one God. Yeah. And you're going, but that doesn't make any mind. sense. There's one yeah. There's one. There's one <laughs> plan of salvation. See, and this is, and I know what you're thinking. You're going, this doesn't make any sense. And I'm, you know what? I agree. I agree. Too. I agree with you. This, this makes my head hurt. It doesn't make any sense. Now, why is that good news? See, this is an important question. The reason this is good news is because modalism is comforting. Like, I want to like it. Yeah. I want it to make sense because I want it to be a father in heaven who then appears as a son and then goes back and then does stuff as a spirit and goes back because that makes sense to me. I understand that, and yeah. that's what makes it dangerous. God is so much bigger than that. See, if I can make sense of God, uh-huh. is he a God? Probably not because our understanding is not like his understanding. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. If I can understand God, he's not beyond me. He is not the incomprehensible deity. If I can encapsulate him in my words, then he is not the, the I am, the was and is and is to come. He is not beyond my, my sensory experience and my ability to comprehend and think this through, which means he is a God made in whose image? Our own. Exactly. Right. That is dangerous. And we don't reason from us to God. So we reject modalism, believe it or not, for starters, because it makes sense. And God doesn't make sense to a finite fallen being that operates in time. The other reason is because it is clearly refuted in scripture. And my favorite easy one to go to is the baptism. Okay. Baptism of Christ. Right. What's going on? Jesus goes in the water. John dunks him. John pulls him back up, and what happens? I hear an audible voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. See, in order for modalism to be true, Jesus either has to be the best ventriloquist on the planet, or he has to stop being God as the son in order to be God as the father to speak. Right. But while this is going on, what else is happening? The Holy Spirit is there. Holy Spirit is descending like a dove. Now, like a dove. There wasn't a bird. Not a dove. There was no bird. Like a dove. There was no bird. That's an important distinction. <clears throat> yes. The, the, how does a what does a dove look like when it lands on something? It's kind of it's kind of graceful and peaceful, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is visibly descending. Now, in this situation, I do like manifests because in order to see this, the Holy Spirit must be manifesting Himself in some way. Mm-hmm. In that, what is Spirit is being shown. Right. What did that look like? I got nothing. I got, I got nothing. I have no idea, and I don't care. But he is lighting in this 
airy, beautiful, mm. majestic way right. upon the sun. Now, why is that important? Because again, in the incarnation of Christ, you have the plan of Yahweh being worked out by the persons of Yahweh in their individual roles. Well, and we also get a picture of the fullness of the Godhead. Uh, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are all there in one place. Exactly. And they're all doing different jobs. Right. So who's organizing and ordering the plan of Yahweh? The Father. Mm-hmm. He is the one who is reserved in heaven to do this work. Who is carrying out the plan of Yahweh? Jesus is doing that. He is on the ground doing the work. Now, don't forget this. If Jesus is the second person of Yahweh and Yahweh has inaugurated this plan of salvation, that means Jesus has inaugurated this plan of salvation. This is why Jesus isn't shocked that he's going to a cross. Not like when they show up to arrest him, he's like, what are you guys doing? I've been so awesome to you and you treat me like this? Hmm. He knows where this ends. This is why I love the Gospel of Luke for this because Luke presents his material in a march. So Luke gives you all the preliminary stuff in chapters about one through eight. Mm-hmm. And then beginning around the middle of chapter nine, Jesus has left Israel and he has gone north of Galilee outside of the land to have a time of prayer. I cannot remember which mountain he goes up, but he goes up one of the mountains. And then the rest of the Gospel of Luke, from chapter 9 to the crucifixion, is a systematic presentation of Jesus traveling south to Jerusalem. So he then proceeds to go back through all the areas of the Galilee and down into Jerusalem, culminating in Jericho in the triumphal entry in, um, was it chapter 19 of Luke? If it's not Luke 19, I apologize. But it's a march for all of these chapters showing Jesus heading to the goal. And from that in chapter 9, he begins teaching the disciples that the Son of Man will be held, will be turned over, he will be crucified, he'll be executed, and three days later, he will rise again. Mm -hmm. There's no surprise in any of this because Jesus knows the plan that he has inaugurated from before the foundations of the earth, and he is carrying it along. What is empowering his accomplishment of this plan? That's the third person of Yahweh, the Holy Spirit. Why? This becomes important. Christian, do you have a divine superpower by which you can accomplish your kingdom work? Well, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. But is it innate to you? Innate? No. No, it's not yours. Not, it is given to it's you. Given. Right. Now, this is why this it's is helper. Ma- this is why this matters. Does Jesus have a divine spirit by which he can accomplish these things? And it is innate. Yes, and it is innate. It yeah. is his. Yes. So if Jesus comes down and the Holy Spirit just hangs out at Starbucks while the Father organizes and the Son carries it out, and he has his coffee by himself, is Jesus a fair representative of humanity? No, I don't think he would be. No, he's not. He cheated. Yeah. Right. And that's the argument from some... Yeah, he up, uh, up, down, up, down, left, yeah. right, left, right, selects, BA selects, started this right. puppy. I mean, how could he even be tempted? <clears throat> we talked about this earlier. I mean, he, he was fully man and fully God. And Yeah, yeah. If, he, if he's cheating and using his divinity to accomplish his human righteousness, he is not accomplishing human righteousness. Right. He's cheating. Right. Now... Would the divine nature of Christ being simultaneously at work in Jesus as his human nature allow him to sin? I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's a difficult question. It is, but I don't think it's possible. But that people have argued about for what is what does Jesus spend so much of his time doing throughout his ministry? So think about this: before the majority of his miracles, what does Jesus do? He prays. Before he selects the disciples, what does he do? He prays. He prays. Yeah. Before he breaks the bread of the Last Supper, what does he do? He prays. Before he goes to the cross, what does he do? He prays. He prays. Before he departs, what does he do? 
While he prays, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, who's he praying to? <laughs> well, in a nutshell, he's praying to himself. Right, right. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing to, to, to see the example that we have in Christ. It is. But what, he, what you're getting, though, is he's praying to the Father, who is the organizer, mm-hmm. who will then deliver the Spirit, who is the empower so that the man Christ Jesus can do the work. This is why our example works, because Christian, what are you called to do? You are called to pray to the Father who is organizing and orchestrating so that our prayer will be heard because of the work of the Son, and the Spirit will be sent to empower your kingdom work. Nothing's changed. That's good. This is the work that Jesus is inaugurated, and this is the work that he was demonstrating. This is, again, what you mentioned, our, our, our pre-show conversation. This is why the temptation is a real temptation. Right. Could Jesus have turned the stones into bread? Yes. yes. Would he have then been reliant on the empowering of the Holy Spirit and obedient to the plan and, orga- and obedient to the organizing of the Father? No. So, and this is what, this, what I mean by this. We know Jesus inaugurates the plan because he is one of the persons of Yahweh. So when Jesus comes to earth, he knows that he will live a human life, he will, keep, he will keep obedience, he will suffer for the sins, and he will rise again. Does Jesus know he's going to go out into the wilderness for 40 days and be tempted by Satan? See, I don't think I don't the know. specifics are part, necessarily part of the plan of eternity. Right. I think that's the Father organizing, saying, now is the time for the temptation. Now is the time for you to, for you to succeed mm-hmm. where the first man fell. So where Adam falls with his confrontation with Satan, now it is time for you to succeed. Right. <clears throat> and notice that comes where? At the beginning of the ministry. Jesus is baptized and does what? Out to the yeah, desert out with to you. the desert to be tested. Yep. Adam is created, put into the garden. How quickly do we get a test? Immediately. We get it right then and there. Yeah. Same idea. Once I mean, the it mi- doesn't really speak to the time, but it's immediately. Yes, it is. In the context. So. I agree. And that's why you have that with Jesus. What you have is the presentation of two people. Paul makes this clear, because I think Scripture makes this clear. You have, the fall, you have the fallen one in Adam, who failed the testing. You have the immaculate one in Christ, who passes the testing. Now again, all of this is the operation of God on our behalf. And you're going, wait a minute, I, I was hoping you weren't going to come back to that. Oh, oh, we're we coming there. back. Yeah. <laughs> now, the reason we're coming back is because what we're trying to demonstrate is a refutation through the work of Christ of modalism. Meaning, we're trying to show you that this is the consistent testimony of three persons, not just, you know, blips here and there. Now, there's another coin of this. There's another ditch that we can fall into. And that ditch says, I agree with you. There aren't manifestations. You have the person of the Father. You have the work of the Holy Spirit. And you have the person of the Son. But they're just not all the same thing. Not of the same essence. Right? Exactly. They're right. not the same substance or essence. And this, in English... I just like stuttered over three pronouns. This would be, congratulations, you've fallen into Arianism. This was Arius's argument. Yes, the son is there. He is begotten of the father, but he is not of the same substance, substance essence, right. or being right. as the father. So in other words, when Jesus takes on flesh, our argument is that he is still of the being of Yahweh. He is still God. Mm-hmm. What Arius would argue is that, no, he's not. The father has deemed to create him, deemed to make him, even deemed to create and make him holy, even to deem and create to make him righteous, but he has not made him of the same substance as himself. 
Right. They were denying the deity of Christ in that statement. Well, because they're denying the fundamental presentation of Yahweh in that mm-hmm. statement. This is why, again, when you went back, when you mentioned the stonings, what was Jesus claiming? To be God. I saw Abraham. Yeah, Abraham saw my day. Yeah. Who do you think you are? You're not, not even, even 30. Yeah, you're not 30. You're not 50. Dude, Abraham's been in the ground for almost 2,000 years. You saw Abraham. Yes, because before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. This is why you have the I am statements of John. The Yahweh of the Old Testament is the ego I me of the New Testament. And what is Jesus constantly hammering throughout that, throughout that gospel? He's hammering ego I me. Ego mm-hmm. I me. I am. I am. I am light. I am truth. I am all of these things. He is nailing all of them because what is he constantly beating over the people's heads? Who do you think I am? Right. Who do you say the Son of Man is? I mean, he was asking his own disciples that. Well, because some say he's Elijah and Mm -hmm. some say he's John and some say he's all these things. Wait wait a minute. You're here. Who am I? Right. And this is is the presentation. This is John's thesis that you would believe. That you would know. Because again, this was something I used to teach to, uh, to teenagers. If Jesus is not God, if he is of a different substance, can he represent us before God in the courtroom of God's trial? No. no. If he's not, he's, he can't. He can't stand before God and say, I have access to this court. He can't do it. He might have a righteousness because he's kept his law, but he has no right to stand before God and have a hearing. None. But because he is God, Mm -hmm. he can stand before God. He can bring his case. He has right to that court. And because he is man, he can represent us and we can go, ooh, that's our guy. That's our lawyer. That's the one we want making our case. Teenagers can get this because they understand the importance of forgiveness of sin and a declaration of not guilty by God because of his wrath. Wrath abides upon sin. In order to turn that, in order to get a hearing, I have to have both sides brought together. I can't mediate from one end of the spectrum. I can't do it. I have to have both in order to get there. And that's what Jesus bridges. So if God, if Yahweh had created the Son and made him good, because everything that Yahweh makes is good, Mm-hmm. If he had made him good and he had continued in that goodness, could that goodness have turned away God's wrath from us? No, no, it couldn't. Because the sacrifice is not eternal. Right. The sacrifice is insufficient. Right. It is not sufficiently good. Yeah. It is sufficiently good for who? For Christ. It had for been him. sufficiently good for Jesus. For right. He would have walked in and been like, I'm here. Where's my cup? I'm good but it would not have been sufficiently good to turn away the wrath of God against sin of all of God's people. And that is, again, why you have to have both sides of that argument represented. Arius broke down because he, he gets hung up on the incarnation. And look, if there's something to get hung up on, the incarnation is a pretty good thing to deal with. It's a pretty good play. It's a pretty good... I can understand your brain going a little mushy and getting turned away at the incarnation. I get it. But at the same time... You cannot get hung up on the second person taking on flesh and coming into existence as a man. To come into existence as a man is not to come into existence. Not if you are fully God. Right. So he wasn't born. Like, as far as God was never, there was never a time where God wasn't God. (laughs) See, Lou is like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not a heretic. I promise you, I'm not a heretic. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? it, it's it's a hard it's a hard concept. He was born of the flesh, but before that, he existed, and that was the argument. Did yes, he, did he exist before the incarnation? This is, this is why the in, answer was yes. This is why in church history they gave Mary the title of Theotokos, right, bearer of God, right. because while she is pregnant with this child who shall be Jesus, who is he? He's, he's fully God, God and fully yeah, man. Therefore, while she does not birth God, does she bear him? Yes. Is she pregnant with the one who is the creator, sustainer, and giver of all life? Right. Yes. There's and, a lot of heretical doc, uh, doctrines that came out of that. Oh, absolutely. Of, now, I'm not trying to give Mary yeah. more credit than she do. Does that mean? No, no, no. I, does that I mean? Totally does that mean Mary that had up. to be sinless? See, that's one of the big big arguments. But no, it doesn't mean she needs to be sinless. And I would agree with that, because if that were the case, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus need to be sinless in order to handle the body to put it in the tomb? Good point. Because aren't, aren't they defiling that, him? In that, in that perspective. But, <laughs> I mean, there are all kinds of things that point to Mary's human sinfulness, you know? Yeah. Um, and she, she proclaims it herself, right. her need of salvation in God the Magnificat in Luke 1. Yes. Yeah. If you... And God the offerings that she brought to the temple after the birth. They were according to the law. There yeah. was a sin offering involved there. God doesn't save good people because good people don't need to be saved. Right. This is what Jesus makes clear. If you're sick is when you go to the doctor. Right. Nobody wakes up and be like, I feel amazing. Let's go to the doctor. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? No, that's weird. Don't, don't do that. It's, right. it's bizarre. We don't want to end down that road. No, we go to the doctor because we're sick and we need help. Right. Right. Same thing with Mary. So while I don't affirm Mary's sinlessness as taught by Roman Catholic theology, and I don't affirm her immaculate conception as taught by Roman Catholic theology, I do affirm that the child she carried was the incarnate second person of the Trinity. It was Yahweh put on flesh right. in her womb. I have no problems with that. Yeah. I have problems with where it goes, but I have no problems with that because that was necessary. Right. The thing, I don't want to say it that way. That would sound bad. From an Aryan point of view, to say that that thing that is created is perfect would not grant me anything. I lose all of it. All of it. Now, let's real quick. Check and see if my wife's coming running in here with a giant St. Bernard. <laughs> He's here. Uh-oh. He went to the vet. I'll have to get the update on that in a little while. Um, this is where this now. This is where this becomes important because you're going. All right, guys, you've talked around this a lot. You've gone into some tentacles of other theologies, which is good. But um, why is this such a big deal? And we hinted at it earlier, and we're going to lay it out now. What's your standard, and in which direction are you building? Because God Lu is the standard. Because Lumen, you could, and you mentioned this earlier. If I build a God in my own image, do I have a God? No. No, yeah. I, I have an idol. Have an idol. I have something yeah. that cannot help me and cannot save me. I'm lost. Now, the reason that becomes important is because if I try to adjust God's attributes or I try to change the way God presents himself so that it fits my brain and my understanding, I have lost a conception of God and I have lost everything about God. And worse than that, I have already gone down a road in one doctrine that I will not be able to stop myself from going down that road in another doctrine. Now, case in point, people get mad at me all the time because, you know, well, what's your, what's your thoughts on women in ministry? Mm, well, you opened that. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and you, you want to know my thoughts? First uh, Timothy and Titus. I, are women dumber than I am? No. Are women incapable of teaching scripture? No. Are women incapable of praying in church and doing all the things that I do on a regular basis in church? No. No, they're not. 
God has commanded. My obedience is demanded because he is the one who is worthy of worship. That's one of the reasons we started where we did. He is the one who is worthy of worship, not me. Mm -hmm. He is the one whose plan I follow, not mine. So I follow along willingly and joyfully, and I fulfill the role as a man, as a pastor, as whatever I am in society that God has ordained, and my wife is called to do the same. Your sister would be called to do the same. However that goes down, your, your sons, your daughters are all called to walk in obedience to God, not to them. Well, if I'm willing to change the Trinity, which is fundamental to who God is, am I willing to change the definitions of me? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it comes. Absolutely. If I'm not willing, if I'm not willing to be in submission to one doctrine, why would I be in willing submission to any other doctrine? This is why, if you want to go down church history, every denomination that has lost its mind and gone off the rails, you know where that conversation's always started? The role of women, always. Really? Because the minute you change your hermeneutical stance for one doctrine, you are changing it for any doctrine. If we are not willing to say that the creator and sustainer of the universe is beyond my comprehension, what I'm really willing to say is I'm not willing to worship God as he is. Because that's what I'm called to. This doctrine matters because I have to nail it down as much as I can while recognizing there's going to come a point where I hit the end of the cliff and I don't understand this anymore. So there's one Yahweh. One in essence, one in substance, one in being. But he's three persons. <sighs> with different roles, with different jobs in redemption and in, in kingdom, but with one mind and with one will. Mm. How does that work? I have no idea. Yeah, that's a tough question. There's the edge of my cliff. So I stop and say, I don't know, and I'm okay with that. Because that means my God is beyond me. But I am rightly following the road that he has laid down in Scripture, how he presents himself and how he shows himself, and I follow it. And when it gets to a place that I no longer understand, I fall down and I worship. Mm -hmm. Because he is great and he is good and he is mighty and he is beyond me, and that's awesome. And I need that. Mm -hmm. I need a God who is bigger than me, because otherwise, what do I need him for? If he's, right, not, right. If he's not bigger than me, what do I need him for? Right. The answer is Nothing. nothing. This is why these things matter, because you have to be willing to, to have a limitation on yourself and say, I don't know. I don't know. But this is what God has said, and I am willing to stand there, because that's going to be the challenge that this world is going to give you soon. Soon. I, 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 looked at our, I look at our downloads. Most of our downloads come from the Midwestern United States. We are not as far along as some other parts of this world, but we have downloads from New Zealand, South Africa, England. We've had downloads from Germany. These are countries that are much farther along the, uh, the progressive landscape than we are. They are much farther along the rejection of God and the reordering of society according to secular principles as opposed to godly principles than we are. And there are Christians in those countries who are trying to figure out how do I live Christianly, study theology, apply it to my life, and my phone makes noises, how do I do all of those things while standing where Scripture tells me to stand and not where the world tells me to stand? And this is one of those places where you test yourself. Am I willing to go as far as God has laid out and then stop and say, this is what the Word tells me? Well, explain that to me. Dude, I can't because right. this is what the word has given me and I don't have anything else. Because where we are in our country, that's going to be coming. Are we willing to stand and say, no, this is what the word of God declares. This is where I stand and I will rest 
there. And this doctrine becomes a test case for that. Because if you demand that it makes sense to you, you're not willing to be obedient to Scripture. You're going to change your hermeneutics, you're going to change your obedience, and you're going to redefine what Christianity actually is. And you can't do that while remaining faithful. I mean, you can't be unfaithful and claim to be faithful. It doesn't work that way. Your wife doesn't get to come home and be like, well, I was faithful most of the day. Like, I only slept with somebody else, like, at lunch. The rest of the day, I was all yours. Oh, wow. <laughs> Lou's like, you went there. Wow. Yes. Yes, I did. And if you don't like that one, husband, you don't get to come home to your wife and say, look, I only checked out two other women at the gym. It was only at the gym. Like, I, I, my whole drive to work, I didn't check anybody out. But I was only mm-hmm. at the gym. Whole ride home, I didn't do it. She, is that going to fly? No. No, that does not fly. No. As the, uh, as the uh, great prophet Alton Brown once said, you get the back of my hand. And if you don't know that episode of Good Eats, shame on you. It's an awesome cooking show, and you should watch every episode. <laughs> so, all right. What have we learned here today, children? How many gods? One. How many persons? Three. Does that make any sense? No. Are we okay with that? We have to be. Bam! See, look at see how easy yeah. that is? Yeah. Because this is where we rest, and this is where we, we relax. Now, if you haven't figured out, Lou and I are kind of walking through some systematic theology. You can go back into past episodes, and you can see doctrine of Scripture a little bit. We're working through theology proper. We're going to keep doing that. If at any point we have been unclear in any of this, info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Make us clear it up. This is, I'm always in favor of this. I will never forget years ago, I climbed out of a pulpit, and somebody looked at me and went, did you mean to say, is that what I said? Hmm. First thing next Sunday, you know what I did? Cleared up. Cleared that one up, corrected it, and moved on. Be like, all right, we are prone to lunacy, and especially in a topic like this. So if we have been unclear, info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Send it to us. We will clear it up before we dive into the next doctrine, which we will start on shortly. We'll still be operating in theology proper. I haven't looked to see what's on the list. I will get it going and figure it out. Um, practicaltheologyministries.com is where you can see past episodes. You can get the write-ups on the things I've had a chance to get write-ups on. A couple other topics on the blog there. You can also link to the church, Calvary Baptist in uh, Rockford, Illinois, where you're welcome to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 Central Daylight Time is what it is right now. So if you're on that, like, um, that meridian plus and minus thing, I think we're at minus six right now. Yes. So, so yeah, 10.30 a.m., which is on the minus 6. So whatever that works out to for you, you figure it out. You can worship with us in person if you show up, or you can worship with us online through the Podbean app, or you can check it out on YouTube. We would love to have you. It would be all sorts of good fun. You know, if you ever visit us, I think a lot of people in church would be like, hey, you actually listen to them? (laughs) (laughs) You're another one. There's two. Yeah, there you go. Um, Optimist, I know. Uh, newsletter is also there. You can sign up to receive that by email. We're going to get it out to you in June. I promise it's coming. I got to finish up one thing. I think Cameron's actually the only one who's done all of her stuff, making us all look bad. I know. Isn't it terrible? That makes us bad people. had a rough couple of weeks, though. Yeah, Lou's had a rough go of it. Pray uh, pray for Lou and his family, his health problems, all sorts of things going on with him and his wife, and and, and just just troubles in our world. Is the world still on fire? I didn't check today. It's still burning. Okay, we're still burning today. I feel like I'm living in the Billy Joel song. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. (laughs) If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you should listen to more Billy Joel music. It's good for you. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. Oh, my. There we, we go. Did. Yeah, I'm telling you. I, the... I used to be able to do that whole song. Nice. Yeah. No, probably not at this point. But anyway, so all of that information is there on the website. Again, send us any questions. Uh, in the meantime, we've covered everything else we want to cover today, right? I think so. So you now understand God, and you, you have, like, mega brain. 
So you're good to go. <laughs> Lou shakes his head at me no. every time I make that noise. So it's good for yeah. you. So until we come back to you, uh, read your Bible. It'll do you good. God bless. God bless.